News of the Times. Serial Killer Saturdays. The Shapwick Poisoner. Sarah Freeman. Welcome to News of the Times. In today's episode, we are in the county of Somerset in 1845. Notorious Sarah Freeman stands accused of the murder of her brother and mother, but there are more deaths associated with her of two of her children and her husband. This famous case in its day was considered highly shocking, as Sarah clearly did not follow any of the rules of her day and was known for her exceptionally violent temper. Not at all espousing the gentler lady-like qualities expected of women at the time. We take a look at the serial killer, the murders and the execution of the Shapwick poisoner, Sarah Freeman, in today's episode of Serial Killer Saturdays. We hope you enjoy the show. The village of Shapwick is situated halfway between the towns of Bridgewater and Wells, perhaps the most retiring and quiet village in the county, containing about 400 inhabitants. The population being mostly agricultural, there is no beer or public house in the village. It is here where Sarah Freeman, Nee Dimond, was born. Sarah Freeman, born Sarah Dimond in 1817. Sarah came from a poor but respectable family, her father being a labourer. She had one sister and two brothers. Sarah attended school near Glastonbury for seven years, finishing her schooling at the age of 14. She was known to be clever at needlework. Sarah was always known for having a vicious temper. Once she left school, it is said she led a profligate and abandoned course of life, quite possibly prostitution. When she was approximately 18 years old, she had two illegitimate children. In the small community of Shapwick, Sarah's actions would have had a rolling impact on the family, bringing shame upon each member of the family. It was reported that both family and fellow parishioners pushed Sarah to leave her home and move away from Shapwick. After the birth of her second child, Sarah moved to Bridgewater, located approximately ten miles away. Bridgewater and Henry Freeman Here in Bridgewater, she continued the lifestyle she had chosen, prostitution and lived there for two years. Rumours have it that within Bridgewater she and a clergyman had developed an improper intimacy, and she became pregnant with her third child. The story is told that the clergyman paid Henry Freeman to marry her and move away. Harry Freeman worked as a labourer in a tan yard. We do not know what the monetary prize was for marrying Sarah and taking on the role of father to her child by a clergyman, but he accepted the money and the deal and the couple removed themselves to a small village called 
Moorlinch, and then on to Pedwell in September of 1842. From the Argus and Argus, January 18, 1845. From a somewhat early age, she is represented as having been addicted to loose habits, and before her marriage, she had three illegitimate children. The tint of these was the fruit of an improper intimacy with the clergyman of the Church of England. This circumstance is said to have led to frequent differences between her and her husband, who married her at the insistence of the reverend gentleman, who gave a sum of money as an inducement. Pedwell, Husband Henry and Son James Within Pedwell, the couple shared a cottage with Sarah's son, James, and a lodger, John Wake. After a few months, her child, James, was hit with violent stomach pains and vomiting. Cholera was rife during this time, and children dying was not so very unusual. James continued being tortured with violent vomiting and extreme pain throughout the night. He died the next day. Seven weeks later, husband Henry also started having violent stomach pains and incessant vomiting. The doctor came and prescribed medicine for him, but Henry died a few days later in extreme pain on the 27th of December, 1843. Henry was said to belong to a burial club, popular in the day, with a payout of approximately £20. From the Age and Argus, January the 18th, 1845, the first death which the accused is suspected of having caused is that of her husband, who died somewhere about Christmas, 1843. It would seem that he was in what is called a life and death club, which meet at a public house in Bridgewater, and is supposed that the pecuniary amount receivable upon his deceased, upwards of £20, worth roughly £1,700 in 2023, formed a main inducement to the commission of the crime. A few weeks later, her daughter died mysteriously, Again, the illness involved tremendous pain in the abdomen area and persistent, violent vomiting. From the Age and Argus, January 18, 1845, murder by a woman of her husband, children, mother and brother. In the march following her little girl, the offspring of the illicit intercourse before referred to, then about seven years old, was taken suddenly ill and died within a very short period. We are told that she was at her Sunday school, apparently in very good health, on the afternoon of the Sabbath day, and on the following morning was a corpse. It is said that the symptoms of her illness resemble those which would follow the administration of poison, great pain and violent cramps. From the money she received for her husband's death and possibly her children, Sarah moved back to Bridgewater and there she opened a shop selling bread, bacon and household foodstuffs. This lasted only some four or five months. Sarah sold off all the stock, had a quick foray to London 
and returned to Bridgewater. Once again pregnant, Sarah sent a letter home requesting to be allowed to return to Shapswick. The reply was quick and blunt, no. From the age in August, January 18, 1845, Sometime after this, the prisoner went away from the neighbourhood, it is believed, to London, and nothing was seen of her till about December last, when she returned to Bridgewater and sent a letter to her friends requesting to be allowed to return home. In reply to this, a refusal was sent by her now deceased brother, Charles. This Sarah did not take well, and a few days later, went in search of the purchase of arsenic from the local chemists. From the age in August, January 18, 1845, on the 9th of December she applied at the shop of Mr. Varder, a chemist in Bridgewater, for three pennies worth of arsenic. The person in the shop at first very properly refused to supply her with it, when she said she was at the sister of a carrier well known in the town, and then she required it for the purpose of killing rats and mice. Upon this representation it was supplied to her, care being taken to caution her as to its character and to label the package with the word poison. Sarah returned home with both her mother and brother wishing her to leave. Three days later, Sarah's mother, 72, became terribly ill with severe stomach pains and incessant vomiting. From the age in August, January 18, 1845. On the 12th, the mother, 72 years of age, but hale for her years, was suddenly taken ill, being seized with pains in the stomach, accompanied with violent retching. She lingered till the 14th, when she died and was buried the Sunday before Christmas Day. With the death of their mother, Charles, Sarah's brother, insists that Sarah leaves the household. Sarah is pregnant and has no place to go. From the age in August, January 18, 1845, after this, the now deceased brother Charles positively objected to her remaining at home, and said if she did not leave, he would, as he would not lose his work on her account, and his master said he would not keep him to work for her. Considerable disputes followed this, and the prisoner was heard to say that her brother wanted to have his glee over her, and to bring born his Johnny, alluding to his intention to get married, but something would turn up for him. On the day after Christmas Day, the brother was in his usual health and came home to his dinner, which had been prepared by her. Shortly after, he was suddenly seized with violent sickness and pains in his bowels, so that he could not go back with his work and took to his bed. He remained ill till Monday following, during the night of which he died. During his illness, he occasionally got better, but after taking the gruel which was prepared for him by the prisoner, Sarah Freeman, he grew worse and died. Sarah, whose reputation preceded her in the small community, was now under suspicion. 
Neighbours talked of the quick deaths of her two family members within two weeks of her return, and, of course, it was noted how convenient this was for Sarah, who had no place to go. Authorities became involved. From the age in August, 18th of January, 1845, in consequence of the suspicious nature of the symptoms Mr. Phillips of Chilton Superpolden, who was called in prior to his death, took out the viscera and carried it to Mr. Horepath, the eminent and analytical chemist of Bristol, who subjected the contents to various tests and succeeded in discovering arsenic in the intestines and the liver. A coroner's inquest was held on Wednesday at Shapwick on the body of Charles Dimond, the brother, before Mr. Coles, coroner for the county, which ended in a verdict of willful murder against Sarah Freeman. Prior to this, an investigation took place by Edward Seeley, O. H. Strangeway, and G. A. Worry, Esquire, County Justices, residing in the neighbourhood, which led to the exhumation of the mother. This took place in the presence of the two first-named magistrates, Mr. Herapath and others. The viscera of this body was also handed over to Mr. Herapath, who succeeded in finding arsenic in the stomach. With the discovery of arsenic from a celebrated in his time chemist, Sarah is arrested, remanded, and an inquest takes place where the initial evidence is produced to see if she should be put forward to trial. The prisoner was then charged with the willful murder of her mother, Mary Dimond, but the necessary witnesses not being in attendance, the inquiry was adjourned to Saturday when the jury returned a verdict. The prisoner was charged at the late assizes with the murder of her husband, child, mother and brother. The bills against her for the poisoning of her husband and child were ignored, in consequence, we believe, of the absence of Mr. Herapath, the chemist. Those for the murder of her mother and brother were found true. She was convicted upon that of the brother. The prisoner purchased arsenic at Mr. Varder's at Bridgewater on the 9th of December last and returned to Shapwick the next day. On the following Thursday, the mother was poisoned and in a few days died. About a fortnight after, the brother also died from the same means. The prisoner, having used threats against the mother and the brother for not giving their consent to her return home, led to the suspicion that they had not died from natural causes, which turned out to be too true and an inquiry soon presented a case against the prisoner which placed her guilt beyond all doubt. Persons after this hinted that the husband and child who had died rather suddenly about twelve months before had been observed to exhibit similar symptoms to those of the mother and brother. Their bodies were consequently exhumed, and the contents analysed by the celebrated Mr. Herapath of Bristol, arsenic was found and their deaths no doubts caused by arsenic. 
The motive assigned for the commission of these crimes is that the brother and mother had expressed themselves most strongly against the prisoner's return home and a determination that she should not remain, but the prisoner, Sarah Freeman, being anxious to do so, believing herself again with child. The motive for the destruction of the husband and child we have not heard. The prisoner, Sarah Freeman, who is short in statue, somewhat square-built, and of a rather mild expression of countenance, did not appear to manifest any anxiety. She sat unconcernedly eating some raisins which were given to her by Mr. Bustle, the jailer, and the only time at which she seemed at all moved was when her father was called as a witness. On Wednesday last, the prisoner was charged with poisoning her brother, and at the conclusion of the inquiry, the jury returned a verdict of willful murder. The prisoner said, I am not guilty of it. My brother ought to be committed as well as me. The bodies of the father and child have been exhumed, and the contents of the stomach handed over to Mr. Herapath. That gentleman, we understand, has detected arsenic in the child, and has very little doubt but that it exists in the father. Both Sarah's other brother and father testified against her in court, and Sarah was found guilty. Normally, with execution looming, most prisoners would accept the sentence and begin to prepare their soul for their death to come. Sarah did not. Her behaviour was considered outrageous at the time, and an example of how very wicked she was. From the Taunton Courier and Western Advertiser, April the 23rd, 1845. Life and Execution of the Diabolical Murderess Sarah Freeman We now come to the conduct of the criminal since her incarceration. Upon sentence being passed on her in the impressive manner by Judge Coleridge, who told her that the evidence was most clear and conclusive against her, and that there was not the slightest doubt either upon his mind or in the minds of the jury of her guilt, the prisoner exclaimed violently against both, and was removed from the bar to the van, uttering violent invectives, and declaring that all the witnesses had sworn falsely, and were actuated by feelings of animosity against her. She was condemned on the 5th of April, the morning of the 10th she expressed a desire to the governor and the chaplain to make a statement, as she said, for the purpose of easing her mind. Instead of confession which was expected, it was a tissue of falsehoods, totally exculpating herself and insinuating that the deaths of the mother and the brother were caused by the hands of her brother, John, who appeared against her in the trial. She stated that the arsenic had been purchased by her for the purpose of self-destruction, and that the brother had taken it from her. Although this statement was not believed, yet as it was contained many particulars which could be confirmed or contradicted by persons uninterested living at Bridgewater and Shapwick, 
the governor of the prison immediately visited those places, saw the persons alluded to, and found not a word of truth in the whole statement. The wretched woman has persisted in this statement to the last moment of her life, and although she has again and again said she had no hope of being saved from making it, it was quite clear from observations which dropped from her that her idea was that as no person could prove the actual administering of the arsenic, and as she had been convicted upon circumstantial evidence, there was a chance of her escape if she did not confess. Mr. Coles, the under-sheriff, has seen her several times and remonstrated with her. She has behaved to him almost uncivilly. Of her father, when spoken of, she exclaimed, I wish he had been crumbled to dust before he was allowed to appear on trial. The brother above alluded to paid her a visit on Monday last week, and we are informed that during the interview, forgetting entirely her situation, she became as violent as ever, and that the meeting presented a scene not easy to be described. Combined with all this extraordinary feeling, she was most vain of her personal appearance. Her height was hardly five feet, a repulsive countenance and very stout, an eye most prominent and, when excited, most remarkable for malignity of expression. Previous to her trial, she was very particular in getting up her dress, but it will hardly be believed that on Friday last she made herself a cap to appear in on the morning of her execution, saying, to one of the matrons who was remonstrating with her for applying her thoughts to such matters, I am not going there a perfect fright. On Sunday, the condemned sermon was preached by the chaplain. A more suitable, solemn and affecting address was never uttered from the lips of any clergyman. The whole of the females surrounding the wretched condemned woman were crying and sobbing bitterly. Indeed, all in the chapel were affected to tears. But will it be credited that no tear dimmed the eye of her who had the most cause to feel, but that she sat unmoved and calm, as if an ordinary service were being performed? The service was concluded by a prayer, composed by the chaplain, calling on all to pray for forgiveness for the wretched criminal who still sat quite unconcerned. Monday last, she asked permission to dispose of her clothes to the prisoners with whom she had been classed previous to her trial. This being granted, she immediately wrote the names of the articles and the persons to whom she wished them to be given. She rather courted than avoided allusion to the crimes with which she had been charged, and of which she had been convicted, invariably protesting her innocence. Yesterday 
she was much depressed, but at times conversed with the governor quite cheerfully and told him in the evening she had no fear of the hour of the, her execution, her only fear being that she may not receive forgiveness hereafter. She expressed her gratitude for the indulgence which she considered she had received, but which are afforded to all similarly situated in this jail. She was attended night and day with two females, and to a late hour last evening by the chaplain and governor, and retired to rest between ten and eleven o'clock. Execution This morning the unfortunate creature appeared to feel the horror of her situation more deeply for the first time almost. She shed tears, weeping bitterly, exclaiming to the governor or parting with him, I die innocent, I hope the Lord will receive my soul. This she also persisted in to the chaplain on his leaving her on the scaffold. The under-sheriff had an interview with her immediately before the service, and in the kindest manner entreated her, for the sake of her friends, the public, and herself, to clear her conscience by confessing before she died. She resolutely replied she had nothing more to confess, but that which she had already stated. The drop was erected during the night, and at an early hour this morning a number of persons congregated in front of the jail. There were hundreds by nine o'clock. It is supposed that between fourteen and fifteen thousand people witnessed the awful end of the unnatural, remorseless, and unpitied wretch, whose accumulated iniquities must be ranked amongst the foulest in the criminal annals of this kingdom. She walked to the scaffold without the slightest assistance and declared her innocence in the most emphatic manner. In an hour she was cut down and buried within the precincts of the jail. Sarah Freeman was executed on the 23rd of April, 1845, by Calcraft. That concludes this episode of Serial Killer Saturdays, the Shapwick Poisoner, Sarah Freeman. We so very much hope that you enjoyed the show.